Pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this um, beautiful day. God, I thank you, Father, that you gave us the mercy of a new day, Lord. That your mercies are new every morning, God. I thank you, Father, that you're sovereign and that you are on the throne and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, God. And Father, I pray that um, our faith would increase today, that you would teach us how to trust you more, God. And Father, I thank you that we love you because you loved us first. And I pray, Father, that uh, we would just uh, be able to experience even more of that love today, God, as we hear your word and just enjoy that time corporately together, God, and that we would be able to respond uh, faithfully, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. 
Lord, what were you saying? I must have fallen asleep. Could have sworn I heard you talking. Or maybe it was just a dream. It sounded something like redemption.
need to do is turn around And the Father will come running Oh, Father. Well, Father, I do thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. I thank you, Father, for just the opportunity that we have to open your word, Lord, to be encouraged. I pray, oh God, that we wouldn't just be just hearers of the word, God, but truly, Father, that we would be doers, that we would be Christians. I thank you, Father, that Nothing can separate us from your love. And that, Father, your word declares that you first loved us. So I ask, Father, Lord, that we would just humble ourselves, that we would be attentive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't believe the lies of the enemy. God, that we would awaken, Lord, and respond, Father, to your convictions, that we would turn from darkness, God, and that we would walk in the fullness of your light, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Leviticus chapter 7 is where we're heading. Verse 28, and then we're going to read through chapter 9, verse 6. But before that, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk, but by living by God's power to experience the fullness of the Christian life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Not just having a form of religion, but truly experiencing the fullness of who Christ is, his resurrection, the hope that we have to walk in freedom. The Word of God says that if we walk habitually in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. And so if we find ourselves gratifying the desires of our flesh, then we realize we're not walking in obedience. We're not walking in the fullness of what Christ has for us. He's not going to force us to follow him. He calls us to do it. And in that response, then we can live in the assurance that God... <laughs> will bring about his purpose and his plan for our lives. Our lives are to be lived honoring him. Apart from Christ, we know that we could do nothing. The understanding of why Christ came and the reason why we confess and we believe in him as the resurrected Son of God, as the one who has come to set the captives free, we need to have an understanding first before we can fully grasp that of the nature that we were born into. 
This nature that is in complete rebellion towards God. This sinful nature. (coughs) All of us are born in to this nature. To this nature. That chooses to live its way. To desire what it wants. To keep going in a way opposite of God. And even this nature too wouldn't mind holding a form of religion. But yet it will always deny God's power. And so we have to have this understanding like this is how we live apart from Christ. But when Christ is revealed to us and he's pleased to reveal himself to us, like he purposely came to set us free from this nature, everything good is in Christ. He willingly laid his life down like his love. Like there's no greater evidence of love than him laying his life down for you. So that's why it's weird to stay entrapped in guilt and shame and then we draw away from God, we draw away from fellowship, and we just go back to our old ways. That's not how we're to be living as Christians because we understand his depth of his love for us. That he came and he laid himself down. He, he took upon the punishment that we deserved he was put and placed in a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again, defeating sin and death. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we keep going back? What's back there? Why aren't we pursuing the one who loves us? Like, he calls us. He's not going to force us. Like he calls us to himself, come, follow me. And just as much interest and just as much passion as we put in living in rebellion towards him, we now humble ourselves and we're putting that much interest and passion in seeking him. See, the word of God says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. God is in the business of transforming people. We can't claim him as God, as the Holy One, and continue to live unholy lives. We're making a mockery of him. Such great love displayed. Why would we trade it? Like God is pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus. And let me tell you something. We're living in crazy days. And yet Jesus says the days are only going to get worse. Darkness is going to run rampant. And as we were praying earlier this morning, and as the Word of God declares, but yet the days are going to grow even more evil. The gospel is still going to go forth. God's kingdom is reigning and ruling. All of this is being allowed to bring about His purposes. 
And so as Christians, we've got to come to an understanding, which side are you on? Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why have a false hope? Because you're choosing to continue to go your way. Like we can't keep choosing to go our way. Like we need to recognize no matter how far we've gone, no matter how dark we've become, no matter where and what we've done, like he's still there. Turn to me. Turn to me. Repent. Come to me. I will take you. Like he never rejects us. But there will come a time. And the day to come where we all will have to stand before him. And at that time, how you've chosen to live here is going to be your choice. Because even then, he doesn't reject us. He just states the fact, I don't know you. Like your whole entire life, I have revealed myself to you. But you chose your desires over me. You chose to go your way. You chose to live your life. So depart from me. I don't know you. You worker of sin. You worker of iniquity. And it doesn't matter, you all, how long you've sat in church, how many prayers you've prayed, and what you've done, or whatever. If it's not truly who you are, then it's just a form, and you're not known. But his will is that none shall perish. His will is that he will have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God. Have you looked at social media lately? Have you seen the craziness that's going on? And the, the, the stripping of Christ, making him so common, making him <clears throat> nothing, that everyone's claiming to be a Christian, and yet not living for him. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. The enemy is working overtime. Slapping Jesus on people's lives and leaving them a slave to sin. And he's mocking and he's laughing. And yet the church is looking more and more like the world. And yet we're to be more and more looking like Christ. Jesus, you all. It's the most craziest thing to think that we have his word, his eternal word, his living word available. And yet, and yet, we're not even believing it. Like he can transform your life. 
there must be a hunger and a thirst for him. This is about him. This isn't about me. This isn't about you. Like, it's all about him. Your life as a believer is to be all about him. Your joy, you find joy and satisfaction of just allowing your life to reflect him. And it's not a burden. It's not a burden. And when you do wrong, then get up and move on. Get up and move on. You recognize this is not where I need to be. This goes against him. No, I don't want to be here. God, I'm sorry. And you get up and you move on. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to be shackled and enslaved. But Christ wants us to be vocal. You're to be the light in the midst of darkness. You're to be his voice, his hands, his feet. You're to know your God. You're to honor your God. Even among the godless generation, we don't hate the lost because we once were there. But we are to uphold the truth among them and realize you are going to be hated. (laughs) They are going to persecute you. You're not going to be well-received. As the generations continue, I mean, just look at some of the stuff I'm posting. What our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing when they come to Christ. Like coming to Christ, you recognize your life is not your own. You are dying to the old. This isn't just a a kumbaya type, oh, this is just what we do. We just go to church. We just do this. No, you're to be the church. We're to be a part of fellowship. We're, we're We're to gather together with the expectancy that God is among us and God is establishing us to do His will together. Together. Because he's made us a royal priesthood. He has set us apart for his purpose. Are you set apart this morning for his purpose? For his purpose. Are you set apart daily for his purpose? Like, do you believe? Like, sin is not to master you. Christ is. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness, to right living. And each and every single day, you should be recognizing in and of myself, I can't, but in Christ, I can. Like he's begun this in you. I've told you all before, you don't wake up and say, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. No, it's not about you. It's about him. He awakens you. God is pleased to reveal himself to you. But isn't it horrible to think that there's people sitting here, people sitting in churches throughout our nation and throughout the earth, and they're sitting there and they hear the living word over and over and over and over. And yet, they don't get it. 
They don't get it. They hold a form of religion. And listen, we've got to wake up. It's not about holding a form of religion. It's not about getting up from this place today and yet again, oh, it's another Sunday. All right, so we're here. Okay, whatever. He'll talk for whatever, how long, and then we'll go and then we'll eat and then we'll just go our way. And yet our lives don't change. How sad is that? We'll go right back to the sin. We'll go right back with, with hell grabbing hold of our nostrils, pulling us back. And we'll say, lead me, I'll follow. To our flesh and to hell itself. And how sad. Jesus, the author of life, the great I am, the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords has his arms open saying, come to me. Like, come to me. Follow me. You are my beloved. Like, he's not going to grab you by your nostrils and drag you. No, he's going to extend his hand out towards you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then follow me. Follow me. Let me bring about my desire, my design, and my will for your life. You cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot continue to be led by your fears, by your insecurities, by your desires. You cannot allow sin to continue to be your master. You must die to yourself daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. Oh, it's not easy, God. He says, I know it's not. Not in your strength. If you find your Christian life not easy, if you're finding your Christian life just an utter failure, it's you. You're trying to live it. You're trying to be good. You're trying. You're trying. You're trying. But it's Christ living in and through you that transforms you by renewing your mind to start thinking along His ways. His truth. Believing. And saying, no, I'm not going back. Like, what's back there, you all? What are you going to leave here today and go back to? That's ungodly. But yet, you go back to the same attitude, to the same mindset, to the same lust, to the same junk. (coughs) And for what? And to think that you are uniting Christ's body to it. And you know good and well Christ doesn't belong there. And you say, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Get up. (laughs) And start making the right choices. 
hardest thing to do is to get up and to walk away from the old ways. But even though it's the hardest, it's the best. Especially if you're claiming Christ. Could you imagine the Israelites? You know, they had been enslaved for 430 some odd years. They had the slave mentality. God delivers them. God himself sets them apart. And as we're reading, he's establishing ways for them to remain right with him. Through all these sacrifices, through, these, through, the, through the seasons of, of celebrations and worships, worshiping him, honoring him, loving him, trusting him. He, he, he set apart the priesthood. He consecrated them, we're going to read today, to do his service among his people. Could you imagine the other nations who are witnessing this? And remember, they weren't afraid of the Israelites. They were afraid of their God. And could you imagine if these people held on to what they had? Because as we're going to find out as we keep working through the Old Testament, they were invaded. How? By turning from God. It's not so much as the other nations were greater than them. They turned from their God. They went the way of the world. They allowed the other nations to pervert them. They allowed the other nations to come in with their gods. They allowed the other nations to come in with their sexual perversion. They allowed the other nations to come in. They were enticed by what they thought freedom was. Oh, I'm free to live however I want. This God thing is too rigid. (laughs) And so they turned from God in order to live out of their appetite. And so we see that it's no different than today. Could you imagine the church living as she should? Of people who are set apart. Of people who love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their body, and with all of their strength. Of people that even though the world comes, and even though all this stuff, deceptive stuff is out there, is trying to lure her away, she says, no. It's not even worth it. I have found the fullness of life in Christ because he first found me. Like he revealed himself to me. You see, the difference between us and them, the Israelites, is they didn't have Jesus. 
You see, Jesus has come. He has already laid his life down. He has already defeated sin and death. The Holy Spirit has already been poured out. So that's why we need to have the understanding of the new covenant. We're not bringing our sacrifices here. Because our sacrifice has already given himself. Like he willingly paid the price. His body was ripped apart. He, he bled out. He, he took his last breath. And his spirit is ruling and reigning in the hearts and lives of those who really believe. How on earth can we continue to claim his name and deny him? Like we really need to wake up. Like this is urgent. This is an urgent hour and a day in which we're living. Look at our nation. Look at the lies and everything that's being portrayed to us. And the church is going along with it. And that is not who she's supposed to be. Do you not realize that we're under assault? And I told you last Sunday, do you not realize, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you have woken up today behind enemy lines. (laughs) There's an enemy for your soul. And not just for your soul, but for your families. Like he wants you to be bent and bound towards destruction. And I was laying in bed last night and I was thinking, like before Christ, like, when I used to hear about the gospel, when I used to hear about the return of Christ, when I used to hear, and I'd be like, oh, that's so, that's so crazy. That's nonsense. And now, when I think about what's happening in the world, and everything is laid out here, it's like living in one of those weird Christian movies in the last days. I don't know if you ever watched one of them. When deceit and the enemy is just right, I mean, just revealing himself. Like soon, I don't know the day and the time, but soon the Antichrist is going to appear on this earth. It's everything is ushering him in. And if you don't understand what is taking place, then I pray that God would awaken us like everything that is pointing towards Jesus' return is taking place. And how are you comfortable sitting and not living? Like something is wrong. We must be doers of the word. You all must be out there sharing your faith. You must be evangelizing, discipling. You must be growing. You must be learning. Not because it's a burden. Because what else are you going to do? When everything out there is lying to people. 
enslaving people. Have you all checked on Venezuela today? Has anyone? These people are living in utter darkness. Hundreds of people are dying, if not thousands. They have no power. They have no running water. They have no food. They've got a government who has deceived them. And they are begging for freedom. They want to be a democratic nation again. But they were sold the lie of socialism years ago, and they bought into it. And socialism is anti-God, no matter if the church backs it. And the churches in America are backing socialism. The liberal left is a socialist (coughs) regime. Antichrist. And you say, well, why are you talking about politics? Because the church better wake wake up. Listen, we all in the flesh, we want things for free. Oh, take care of me. What, you're going to give me what? You're going to give me this? You're going to give me that? What, I don't have to work? I could just do this? I could do that? Have we not read Proverbs about lazy people? How wicked they are? Do you all not realize what is happening to the destruction of our nation? And the few of you that I've been talking to and I've been telling you, you don't have to trust me. Just go study. Go look for yourself. The destruction of our nation. First, infiltrate the educational system. Second, infiltrate the government. And then the final death blow to a nation, infiltrate the church. Destroy her faith. And we've captured her people. Oh, go look at Venezuela. It breaks my heart. So I'm telling you all. It's not time to keep playing church. Oh, and feeling bad for yourself. And doing all the weird things that we do. Because we've all done it. But it's time to wake up and say, wait a minute, what am I doing? How am I living? Am I living for Christ or not? The Israelites were infiltrated. (laughs) The enemy came in like a flood. And instead of raising up a standard of righteousness, they caved in. They caved in. Let that not be said. Let that not be said of the church of Christ, the bride of Christ. Do y'all realize who your identity is in now? If you're sitting here and you're calling yourself, if you're not calling yourself a Christian, then that's fine. (laughs) I pray at some point your heart would awaken to truth and you would call upon Jesus and be saved. 
But if you're sitting here and you're actually saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Well, if I put the mirror on you, am I going to see you or Christ? Because I should be seeing Christ. This is your mirror. This is your mirror. I told you all, wouldn't it be horrible? Here I am teaching of Christ, Jesus, Jesus, draw close to Jesus, give your life to Jesus, and then you saw me live a wild life. You'll be like, I mean, at least you should. (laughs) At least you should. And we're so quick to look at other people who call themselves Christian, and as soon as then we're quick to say, oh, look at that, love this, and we're nitpicking them. But yet you yourself are no different than them. And you say, well, Rob, every Sunday you're, you're just beating us down, you're just beating us down, and it's not about beating you down, but I'm genuinely concerned. Not just for us, but for the church and our nation. Like, where is the gospel being preached? Where is repentance being preached? Where are we recognizing that we can't keep going our way? Like, we can't keep doing what we're doing. Because the time is urgent. Everything is pushing. Many people are going to fall away at the end. Because they're going to believe the doctrines of demons. That's what the Word says. And we don't even spend 30 minutes in the Word. (laughs) How's your prayer life this week? How's your devotional time this week? How's your fasting going? How are the disciplines of the Christian life being maintained in your daily walk? No, I don't have time. I'm busy. My schedule. I got this. I got that. I got this. I got that. I got this. I got that. Oh, you don't know my struggles. You don't know what I got that and this and this and that. It's you. Discipline is needed. The day and age. Is getting crazier. We must be disciplined in our lives. We must honor him in all that we say and do. And if you sin, don't remain there. Get up and recognize he still loves me. God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. And quickly, love comes. Like, listen, y'all, he loves us so much. Like, he loves us. Why would we want his wrath instead of his love? Why aren't you all out there sharing the love of God with people? Like, do you know how much God loves you? Because as we've said before, Everyone knows God's love. Just ask anybody out on the street. Yes, God loves me. 
And you've got an open door. You've got an open door. Right then and there. Oh, so you know that God loves you. What what did he do because of his love for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Like, have you confessed and do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? That he was raised from the dead? And I can't keep, I can't, I can't make it even clearer to you in and of my own self. I only can pray that the Holy Spirit will, will bring about truth and open your eyes because how can you say you believe and you confess that he was resurrected? That means he's defeated sin and death. That means all powers are underneath his feet. He is the Holy One. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is God himself. But yet in your confession and in your attempted to believe, you live a life that discredits him. Who does that? That's a miserable life. Yes, going strong, going strong, going strong in Christ. And I had a brother years ago, an older man stopped me and warned me, careful, careful. Be mindful of the enemy. Be mindful of the enemy. He wants nothing more than to discredit Christ in your life. Be mindful. Remain alert. He was reminding me what the Word says. Remain alert. Your enemy is prowling around, seeking to devour you. And then a season comes into my life. Where I traded my relationship with Christ for religion. This is just what you do. This is just how life has worked itself out. And this is just where I'm at. Okay, God. And I dried up and just, I mean, life just took a crazy turn. But I went to church, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. Okay, God, this is just what you do. And then God reminded me, what are you doing over there? Why are you there? You belong here. Why have you traded wholeness? Yet again, for brokenness. And that's the question some of y'all need to answer yourselves. Why are you training to why are you trading his holdness, his love, this relationship that you can have with the living God for dead works? For religion, for sin, 
for shame, for guilt, for defeat, for to crazy mindsets. <laughs> what are you doing over there? When you belong here, in him, in his arms, living out of wholeness. Like, come on. The kingdom of God is just not a lot of talk. <laughs> but it's living in the power of God, you all. Do you believe? Can you stand today and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And in that confession, believe with the wholeness of who you are, everything about you, that He has been raised from the dead. And that He has defeated sin and death. It is no longer to master you. You are now a new creation, born again of the Spirit, to live and to walk differently on this earth. Like you have a purpose you, he has a plan for you. He has prepared good works for you to do. Preparing for his return. Oh, his kingdom is established. His return is drawing nearer. Are you preparing? Are you preparing? We look at Leviticus today. We're going to see how he now is going to set the priest apart. He's going to splatter blood on them. He's going to call them into this service. But I want you, as you're reading through and we're hearing about the priest, I want you to think of your life. If you're a Christian... <laughs> Because you, as a Christian, are now part of the royal priesthood. You are now to reflect the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are pointing everyone to Jesus. This is your purpose. This is your purpose. Get over yourself. This is your purpose. Verse 28 of chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the priests of Israel. When you present a peace offering to the Lord, bring part of it as a gift to the Lord. Present it to the Lord with your own hands as a special gift to the Lord. Bring the fat of the animal together with the breast and lift up the breast as a special offering to the Lord. Then the priest will burn the fat on the altar. But the breast will belong to Aaron and his descendants. Give the right thigh of your peace offering to the priest as a gift. The right thigh must always be given to the priest who offers the blood and the fat of the peace offering. For I have reserved the breast of the special offering and the right thigh of the sacred offering for the priest. If it is... if. It is the permanent right of Aaron and his descendants to share in the peace offerings brought by the people of Israel. This is their rightful share. The special gifts presented to the Lord have been reserved for Aaron and his descendants from the time they were, look at this, set apart to serve the Lord as priests. 
on the day they were anointed, the Lord commanded the Israelites to give these portions to the priests as their permanent share from generation to generation. These are the instructions for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, as I'm sorry, as well as the ordination, ordination offering and the peace offering. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses on Mount Sinai when he commanded the Israelites to present their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And that's a beautiful picture because he's providing for the priests. He was meeting the needs of the priests. And as he met their needs, he'll meet our needs. Don't you dare allow fear and doubt on certainty plague your mind. Jesus is the high priest. He is your sacrifice. He's already made the way. He's going to provide for his people. For those that he's called to himself, he will provide. He may not provide in the means in which you hope or think he will, but he will provide. He will meet your needs. We can trust that because that's what the word tells us. We can hope in that because that's what the word tells us. And we can see our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world that when they bow their knee and they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they already realize that their temporalness of their life, they've got to trust God for everything now. Because their homes can be taken away from them. They could be put into prison. They could do this. This could happen. That could happen. This could happen. That could happen. But their hope is in the one who is resurrected. He will supply my needs according to his riches and glory. He was, he was providing for them. He's called them into his service. This is how you're going to live among my people. You are going to be my priest. You're going to oversee the temple. And so it is today. We are his priest. In his service. You may not have a title slapped to your name. You don't need a man's title. God has called you out. If you are, you are a Christian, you are part of the royal priesthood. There's work to be done. Then, chapter 8, the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, along with their sacred garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the baskets of bread made without yeast, and call the entire community of Israel together at the entrance of the tabernacle. So Moses followed the Lord's instruction, and the whole community assembled at the tabernacle entrance. Moses announced to them, This is what the Lord has commanded us to do. Then he presented Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. He put the official tunic on Aaron and tied the sash around his waist. He dressed him in the robe, placed the ephod on him, and attached the ephod securely with its decorative sash. Then Moses placed the chest piece on Aaron and placed the urn and the thummim inside it. He placed the turban on Aaron's head and attached the gold medallion, the badge of holiness, to the front of the turban, 
just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and everything in it, making them holy. He sprinkled the oil on the altar seven times, anointing it, all its utensils, as well as the wash basin and its stand, making them holy. Then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, anointing him and making him holy. Look at this for his work. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons. He clothed them in in their tunics, tied their sashes around them, and put their special head coverings on them, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the bull for the sin offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the bull's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Moses took some of the blood, and with his finger he put it on all four horns of the altar to purify it. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Through this process, he made the altar holy by purifying it. Then Moses looked to, I'm sorry, Moses took all the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat around them, and he burned it all on the altar. He took the rest of the bull, including its hide, meat, and dung, and burned it on the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the ram for the burnt offering. Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took the ram's blood and splattered it against all sides of the altar. Then he cut the ram into pieces, and he burned the head, some of its pieces, and the fat on the altar. After washing the internal organs and the legs with water, Moses burned the entire ram on the altar as a burnt offering. It was a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Then Moses presented the other ram, which was the ram of ordination. And his Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the ram's head, and Moses slaughtered it. Then Moses took some of its blood and applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear, the thumb of his right hand, and the big toe of his right foot. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, their thumbs on their right hands, and their big toes on their right feet. He then splattered the rest of the blood against all sides of the altar, Next, Moses took the fat, including the fat of the broad tail, the fat around the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat around them, along with the right thigh. On top of these, he placed a thin cake of bread made without yeast, a cake of bread mixed with olive oil, and a wafer spread with olive oil. All these were taken from the basket of bread made without yeast, then was placed in the Lord's presence. He put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons, and he lifted these gifts as a special offering to the Lord. Moses then took all the offerings back from them and burned them on the altar on the top of the burnt offering. This was the ordination offering. It was a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. Then Moses took the breast and lifted it up as a special offering to the Lord. This was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded him. Next, Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, and he sprinkled them on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and their garments. In this way, he made Aaron and his sons and their garments holy. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the remaining meat of the offering at the tabernacle entrance and eat it there, along with the bread that is in the basket of offerings for ordination, just as I commanded when I said, Aaron and his sons will eat it. Any meat or bread that is left over must then be burned up. 
you must not leave the tabernacle entrance for seven days, for that is when the ordination ceremony will be completed. Everything we have done today was commanded by the Lord in order to purify you, making you right with him. Now stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days and do everything the Lord requires. If you fail to do this, you will die. For this is what the Lord has commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. Wow. Wow. I love the fact that Moses called the entire assembly. All of you, come. Come. And he ordains Aaron and his sons. I love the first step as he washed them. To me, as, I, as I'm studying this and I'm looking at this, there's something beautiful being called out among people, being presented to people that you belong to God. And that's something beautiful even about our Christian faith is that you are called out. Like you accept Christ. You, you receive the fullness of who he is. You are born again. And then from that confession, from that belief, the next step for a believer is baptism. You're being washed. And it's a declaration for all that as I'm coming back up, it's a newness. It's a new life. A new way. I belong to Christ. There was no doubt to the Israelites that these men, they were the priest. There's no doubt. Because they made their confession, they were anointed, they were splattered with the blood. And as a Christian, whose blood covers you? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, you all. Such detailed, even down to how this chapter ends, obedience. You stay there for seven days at the entrance. Did you see what it says? Verse 35, Now stay at the entrance of the tabernacle day and night for seven days and do everything the Lord requires. If you fail to do this, you will die. For this is what the Lord has commanded. Listen, you are to obey you all in your Christian life. And you shouldn't take your disobedience. That doesn't really mean anything. What's God really going to do? Because that shouldn't be your attitude towards a holy God. To a God who has redeemed you. To a God who has called you his own. No, you recognize. Like, I belong to God now. I willingly laid my life down. I wasn't forced. I see him. He has revealed his love. Such great love towards me. Why would I deny him? 
the fullness of who I am. Lord, teach me to obey. See, if you're lacking, again, in your Christian life, it is not Christ, it's you. It's your disobedience. And even Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Like, I'm leading you to the way of everlasting life. These priests were set apart for God. And do you realize, by the time we get to the days of Jesus, what these priests became? They wanted Jesus dead. What started off so beautiful, such a privilege and a right to be called of God just into service, they went in dead. Because it ended up being about them. They lost sight of God. And they became about position and power. They became a, a, a group of men who held people back from God. Just going through the motions. And even as we read through the, through the Old Testament, there's going to come a time when God says, through the prophets, turn back to me. Oh, or I'm coming to deal with you harshly. And we, and we see that all through the Old Testament. God is saying, turn back to me. Come back to me. If not, this is the consequences that you are going to suffer. He has prepared a way, you all. He has prepared a way for us through Jesus. So don't misunderstand that today. So your disobedience... You're like, uh, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Oh! You realize you're not dealing with animal blood. You're not dealing with a, a structural system that God has put in place. You're dealing with the Holy One of Israel. You're dealing with God Himself. And in your disobedience, you're spitting in his face saying, you're nothing. You're nothing towards me. And really? And we've grown comfortable in it. Like, come on, you all. we got to wake up. Jesus, you all. Fully God, fully man. I told you all this before. It sounds crazy. Like, we're putting everything of ourselves into Him. We're trusting and believing, yet though we've never seen Him, we are trusting and believing, we are confessing the fact that He is the Son of God, that He has been raised from the dead, that He has given us His Spirit, He dwells within us, and if we walk habitually with him, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh.
he, we believe that he was born of a virgin. <laughs> like, if you really, and, and we believe that he's going to come back. Like, the belief of, in Christ in and of himself sounds ridiculous to the temporal mind. <laughs> but when your eyes have been opened, and you see him for fully who he is, Oh, you can't help but believe. <laughs> and then not only do you believe, but then you begin to see everything that is laid here coming to bear right before your eyes in the generation in which you're living. Do you see how much Israel is hated in our generation? Do you see how the left within our nation is so within just... When was, when was the election? Just in November. Just since November, how rapidly the hatred towards Israel has infiltrated the Democratic Party. Oh! But they want to give us everything we want. Listen, you can remain ignorant as long as you want. But you cannot deny Especially if you're hearing. I mean, you could, you could say whatever you want to dismiss it. But the reality is, you're seeing it live before you. So why are you turning from Jesus and going back to filth? To a way in which you ought not to be living. Well, I don't know what else to do. Yes, you do. Go to Jesus. <laughs> Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. God, I believe. God, I confess. Holy Spirit, help me walk this out. I need you, Jesus. I need you every day. I need you throughout my day. God, remind me that I am whole, that I'm not broken. Remind me that in this world I will face trouble, but I'm to be of good cheer because this world is not my home. You've already overcame it. I can live differently because I belong to you. I belong to you. We're going to go through verse 6 of chapter 9. After the ordination ceremony on the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, take a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defects, and present them to the Lord. Then tell the Israelites, take a male goat for a sin offering and take a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defects, for a burnt offering. Also take a bull and a ram for a peace offering and flour moistened with olive oil for a grain offering. Present all these offerings to the Lord because the Lord will appear to you today. So the people presented all these things at the entrance of the tabernacle, just as Moses had commanded. Then the whole community came forward and stood before the Lord. 
And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Wow. Do we not get it even from the beginning? God wants to be among His people. And God's glory is revealed to us through Jesus, you all. Through Jesus. God is among His people. He longs to be in relationship with you. He longs for you not to keep going your way, but to abide in Him. To seek Him. And you'll find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. Now go to Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 4, verse 25. And let's talk about the heart. Chapter 3, verse 31, chapter 4, verse 25 is what we're reading. The heart, you all. I was so encouraged by this portion of Scripture. Because as a man who suffers with discouragement, (laughs) I thank God that he brings encouragement. Listen, to constantly counsel people, to constantly get up and preach, and then to see people live however they want. It's exhausting. Oh, I've been telling you for years. There's a many of days and a many of times I'm just like, God, I, I don't want to do it. And God says, well, are you in it for me? Or are you in it for them? I mean, I don't know how many of you counsel or encourage or teach people the word of God. Y'all to be though. Huh. You shouldn't just leave it to me. I don't know who you're dialoguing with, sharing the gospel with. But you should be. And you should be encouraging people who call themselves Christians to live as Christians. You shouldn't just go along with them. You You shouldn't be looking like them. And yes, you're going to get a bad rap. I mean, really, some of the things that have gotten back to me that some of you have said, oh my God. And then maybe you're not just talking about me, but maybe you're talking about me and my wife. Maybe you're talking about the fellowship. Just constantly carrying on. Trust me, there's times where I think it would be a lot better, Lord, <laughs> just to exist. In life. Because God, no no one wants to hear. No one wants to to hear. Then he reminds me. Do you remember I called my prophets? In a generation that no one wanted to hear. And they were killed. And then he encouraged me in this portion of scripture that we're going to read. Because all I can do is just do what he calls me to do. Just share. Just open up your mouth. Just encourage and edify people. Exalting my name. I will do the work. 
But sometimes, Lord, the toil and the labor is really hard. Don't look at the toiling and don't look at the labor. Just keep sowing. Because it's not my laborers. It's about the hearts of those who are hearing what is being sown. Oh, God. I pray for you all. I pray for myself. Every time we get together, that our hearts would be of good soil. And we've read through this portion of Scripture before. And as we open it again today, I am asking, and I've asked the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to each of us. I want you to know the soil of your heart. And then when the soil of your heart is revealed, then I pray that you would not remain where you've been, but that you will cultivate the soil that will produce something in your life for the kingdom of God. In your life for the kingdom of God. We go on here. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. Because you remember last week, the mother and the brothers came to take Jesus because you've done lost your mind. They're still around. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother? (laughs) Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. They're my family. Some of your relationships with your temporal family is keeping you from God. Y'all want to hear that again? Some of you, your yokes and your bondage with your temporal blood family is keeping you from the fullness of who God is. Because somehow, somewhere you've been deceived, that blood is thick. (laughs) Oh, you are right. Blood is thick. But it's the blood of Christ that's thicker than your temporal blood of your family members. Jesus himself. I'm not yoking myself to them. They're not here to be about the Father's business. But you all are. You're sitting here with me, he says. I look around and I see my brothers and my sisters and my mother. I see my family. You better think. You better think. Oh, blood's thicker? Oh, you got your family? (laughs) And they got you. Just enslaved with their chaos and confusion and hell-bent and hell-bound. Oh, good for you. You got your blood around you. (laughs) But you got nothing. You got nothing. Keep going the way they're going. Keep acting the way they're acting. Keep joining with them in the very things that they want to do and how they want to live. 
and you'll stay enslaved with them. Even if you're claiming to be part of Jesus' family. Because in reality, you're not. In reality, you're not. Because you've chosen temporal blood over the eternal blood. And I would encourage you today to be yoked to the eternal blood. Because that's what defines you. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. Notice he never went back out to his mother or brothers. He kept going on what God has called him to. And we will then see ultimately Jesus' mother and brothers come into the fullness and the knowledge of who Jesus is and serve him and be engrafted into the kingdom of God, purpose of God. You want to impact your family's lives? Live for Jesus. And then trust the fact at some point they will shift from their lack of understanding to a full understanding. And they will join in and be about our Father's business. But Jesus kept teaching. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into the boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of a parable such as this one. Jesus' words. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. He scattered it across the field. Some of the seed fell on the footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil while underlying, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parable meant. He replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The father I'm sorry, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. It's the first soil. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receives it with joy. 
But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hears God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire of other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Oh, I find such great encouragement in that. Because <laughs> I'm just to sow the seed. If you're a Christian, find encouragement. Sow the seed. God's word. God's truth. That's what you're called to do. No matter your age. If you are a follower of Christ, you are to be sowing the word of God. And now you understand the different ways people will respond. So as I ask you, what soil is your heart today? Don't beat yourself up if you don't see yourself as the productive soil. But reality is what it is. Jesus knows our hearts, He knows their hearts. God knows us, He's intimately acquainted with us. He's not going to force you to love him. He's going to continue to reveal himself to you. He's going to continue and continue and continue and continue so that when you stand before him, because he's a just God, you'll have to answer for what, how you've decided to live. We can't, I told y'all, we've got to stop blaming God. God gets blamed for everything, but God is without fault. God is love. God is love. He longs to be with you. You're choosing. No. I want to live for me. And listen, you have every right to live however you want. Just understand. It's your choice. Prepare the heart to be good soil, you all. He begins this process in you. You see how some of the first, the first person, forget it, Satan snatches it. But the other two, oh, there's a response, there's a draw, there's a yes, and then no. Because life just gets too hard. Their confession and then their belief is quickly taken back saying, no, you're not God. This is God. You see, how you live is pointing out who you're serving. That's the reality. 
I mean, I've told you, there's going to be people in hell with Jesus' name on their lips. The gospel on their lips. But not in their heart. Not in their heart. Lord, help us. Verse 25. Then Jesus asked them, I love this, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine for everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open. And look at this, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given. And you will receive, look, listen, even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That's Jesus, you all. And I know we want to make him this weird hippie. I know we want to make him this weird, coddling, codependent God. Because <laughs> it makes us feel better. Oh, but you better really figure out who he is. He loves you. He loves me. He loves people. (laughs) We are his creation. He longs to be with us. But he's not going to force you to love him. You either love him or you don't. Oh, you can sit around all day and listen to his word. Listen, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. So the question isn't when you're sitting here, are you really listening? And you can answer that question yourself by the amount of wisdom you have in your life. The amount of obedience that is in your life. And if you answer the question and say, well, I'm not really listening, well, then I would say, please, Come to Jesus and listen and obey. That's how a Christian grows. That's how we grow up. Like, how how are we to live now? I told you that was my question. I kept asking God in my beginning walk, how am I to live now? I don't know how else to live, but crazy. So I had to devour his word. I had to get around Christians. I had to get into church. Listen, you just don't come when you're a king. When you know, okay, oh yeah, I'll show up today. You're not really listening. Like, you should understand how vital fellowship is among the brethren. 
And every opportunity that you have, you should partake. You should be sitting down, opening the Bible yourself. Reading it, journaling, praying through the Word. Our lives are to be are to be start reflecting his life. There's work to be done, you all. There's work to be done. And Jesus, listen to what he says. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And that's how things get twisted. And that's how Mammy starts beginning to manipulate the teachings of Jesus. And then before you know it, we have these false teachings. Or now we're adding things to it to make us right with God that Jesus wasn't enough. <laughs> See, that's where deception creeps in <laughs> because people aren't really listening. Uh, they have a, a little knowledge. And having a little knowledge can be very dangerous. Be mindful, you all. Who are you listening to? Go to Psalm chapter 37, verse 12 through 29. The Christian life, you all, it's to be applicable in your life. It's not a far-off life. And, And one day I'll get there. One day, it's so far away. No, it's supposed, it's supposed to be now. It's supposed to be today. Like in an instant. Like in an instant. If you would just believe in your confession of who Jesus is. Because when you truly believe and you truly confess, you won't keep putting your hand towards the things you ought not to do. You won't keep going back and laying down where you ought not to be laying down. You won't just let your mouth open and let just that stuff spew out that should not be spewing out. And you're not going to allow faults to keep running amok in your head when they're so opposite of the things of God. Like you get up, you push back. And you say to the Satan, I don't belong to you anymore. You are defeated. You look at the temptations of the world and you say, you've got nothing for me because you never fulfilled me. Only Christ fulfills me. And then you look at yourself with all the desires that are from within and you say, no more. (laughs) You had your time. (laughs) I belong to Jesus. And I will learn of my Lord. And I will go His way. Because His way is perfect. His way is of peace. Of kindness. Of love. You see, love wins you all. True love. It never fails. True love. Never fails fails. Jesus will never fail you. I know when life slams up against us, it's like, oh, where are you, Jesus? Why are you questioning? He's there. Go listen to the little sermon I posted from our Friday night series. Jesus is with us no matter what. 
Psalm 37, verse 12 through 29. The wicked plot against the godly. They snarl at them in defiance. But the Lord just laughs. I love this picture. He sees their day of judgment coming. The wicked draw their swords and string their bows to kill the poor and the oppressed, to slaughter those who do right. But their swords will stab their own hearts and their bows will be broken. It is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. But the wicked will die. The Lord's enemies are like the flowers in the field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights, look at this, in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never, look at this, fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Once I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. The godly always give generous loans to others and their children are a blessing. Turn from evil and do good and you will live in the land forever. For the Lord loves justice and he will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but the children of the wicked will die. The godly will possess the land and will live there forever. Do you see the difference between ungodly and the godly? The wicked will prosper. And they will snarl at you. And they will even attack you. And they will say whatever they want to say. But I love the picture. That the Lord laughs at them. Oh, because judgments are coming. That's why we're not to be moved by what we see and how the wicked are living. No, we uphold a standard of righteousness. We call others to come to Christ. Come to Jesus Live for God. Live a standard of righteousness and holiness. Even though everything in this world is screaming to go the other way, you come to Jesus and be saved. Behold, there's a war, you all. Good and evil. But good has already prevailed. Stop living as if we're waiting for the war to be won. (laughs) Remember your bold confession? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And what's the second part? He was resurrected from the dead. The war has been won. Jesus is victorious. So we're not to crater down in fear. 
No, we rise up every day. No matter our temporal circumstances, no matter what we're facing or what we're going through, God, you are on the throne. You are victorious. And even if you stumble, (laughs) I love the picture. He has your hand. Get up. Oh, you don't know how bad I've been. You know, yes, we do. (laughs) We can see your character. (laughs) We know you've been in dark places and you've done wrong things. For goodness sakes, you're not hiding it from anyone. Your countenance is so down. (laughs) I mean, come on. Jesus, you all. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has your hand. Get up. And say, Daddy, Abba, I am yours. He knows where you've been and what you've done. And He loves you enough to keep revealing Himself to you. Will you just listen? And will you obey? Obedience. Like we have the good news, you all. Oh God, you should be desperate every single day to get out there and to share it. To share it. To tell others. And yes, it's not easy to tell others they're going the wrong way. They're going to push back, just like you push back. But don't give up on them. Keep going. Because that's what Jesus does. He doesn't give up on us. He keeps coming for us. He keeps coming for us. I love you. I love you. He's running after us. He's chasing after us. Just turn and allow him to embrace you. And say, God, I don't have my life together. And God, I'm going to make mistakes. But God, I'm going to cling to you. Because you're all I have. Listen, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So really, what on this earth has your attention that is greater him. Who? What? Nothing is going to satisfy you like him. I mean, look at that. I would encourage you to go back and just study these verses. Just meditate. That's so beautiful to see our God and the fullness of who he is. Proverbs, one verse, chapter 10, verse 5. The book of wisdom. Chapter 10, verse 5. God, help us not to be lazy. Oh, Lord. Listen, even before I, I'm just, I'm, I'm encouraging in you all. Like, oh God, please, 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 please open your eyes. See what's going on around us. Just because everything wants to be given for it to us doesn't make it right. 
they keep bombarding us with so much division. Stirring up stuff, rewriting history. I'm (laughs) afraid for our youth and what they're learning because they're not learning truth. They're being deceived. They're learning a warped history. And I'm even seeing churches and Christians, and I use that term lightly, coming alongside and promoting it. Listen, and you say, well, how do you know it's false? Because it leads to bondage. Oh, but it feels good, but don't you see that's how sin works? It looks right. It sounds right. But it's leading people into total dependence upon the government. It's it's dividing people and attacking and they're pushing against freedom. And isn't it interesting that the picture of freedom is being attacked. It's being attacked. And you say, well, how is that? This race war that is going on in our nation today is the deceptive lie of the enemy. Oh, I know we like to think how horrible our nation is and all the injustices that has happened in our nation And we can keep promoting it and we can keep pushing it and we can keep pushing it down our throats till we believe it and there's people who hate this nation. Lest we forget the Civil War. Lest we forget the Civil War and the thousands and the thousands of lives that were lost To defend the right of the slaves. Lest we forget history and what this nation was founded upon. Is it a wrong? Has there been injustices? Yes. But every injustice has been turned around. God has established this land and has blessed this land. And our nation has has been, not so much now, been known of the Christian faith. And now it's deteriorating away. And we have people in our own nation that's never heard the name of Jesus. Our nation is being infiltrated. And they're out to destroy us. And you say, well, that's harsh. And I say, well, open your eyes. Just don't listen to me. Look at what's going on. And now we're living in a nation where great perversion is running amok. The lives of innocent lives are just being destroyed as if nothing is nothing. But we're going to do everything for you. Everything's going to be free. 
Everything is going to be given to you. Here, stay enslaved and stay stuck. And we'll take care of you. Like I said earlier, just look at the book of Proverbs. The lazy person, the sluggard, they never amount to nothing. They're destroyed. They're destroyed. Go look up Venezuela today. They were offered so much, and now they're dying of starvation. But the people in power, oh, they're still in power. They're surviving. God help us. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. As Christians, we are to work hard. We are to be productive people. We are to be. Because our service is not for man, it's for the Lord. Like when I go to work, when you go to work, you're working as unto the Lord, not as unto man. You're to bear witness. You're to follow the rules. You're to be the best employee or the best student. You're to humble yourself and serve. That's how Christians should be seen. And you will be hated for it. (laughs) But don't be swayed by other people. Remain focused on Jesus. Like my life is yours. I'm dead to myself. So God, lead me. So that no matter what comes your way, just remind yourself, I'm a dead man. I'm dead to all of this, but I'm alive in Christ. So Father, let your will be done today. Listen, you're going to be faced with choices as soon as you get up from this place. And I want you to be mindful of how you're going to respond. Because your response would truly allow you to know whom you belong to. And if you truly listened. I'm going to close this with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer.
Your name, Jesus. When my world is. Made.